Well, good morning, church. My name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor uh, here at the Valencia United Methodist Church, and I am uh, grateful to be together with you all in the cool of the sanctuary on what is going to be a very warm day. You know, we are working our way through our Come to the Table series, focusing on the table fellowship and meal stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Last week, Andy introduced the importance of table fellowship and the power of having a place at the table. He focused on how Jesus welcomes everyone to the table he sets, that Jesus ate and associated with those who society had deemed unworthy as sinners. And this week, we hear Jesus reaching out again to those people that are deemed undeserving and outcasts. This is something we will find to be a recurring theme in this series. Jesus turning society's expectations upside down, trying to get those around him to see the world as God sees. Jesus' table fellowship will usually involve something unexpected, inclusive welcome, unexpected grace, surprising sustenance, humbling service, intimate celebrations. His table fellowship was a living and practical symbol of the kingdom of God that he preached and that he called his followers to be a part of. So as we continue on this journey and accept this invitation to come to the table with Jesus, let's begin with prayer. Gracious and loving God, we know you are present with us in this very moment, in this room, in our homes and in our lives. Calm our hearts and our minds this morning. Open our ears to hear the message that you would have for us. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. Now, our story this morning from Luke occurs just a few chapters after the story last week where Jesus was challenged for eating with a tax collector. It begins with chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then Jesus turned to her and said, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now this is a story that likely sounds familiar to you. A version of it appears in all four Gospels, but it appears in each of them in a somewhat different way. Each gospel tells the story of a woman with an alabaster jar who anoints Jesus while he sits at the table. But among the four stories, Luke's is distinct, with very different emphasis than the other gospel accounts. Matthew and Mark tell the story in nearly identical ways, and John's version differs in the uh, slight details, but not in substance. All three gospel writers see the scene in a similar way, with an expressed concern of others at the table towards the woman over the squandering of precious resources on something so frivolous as this perfumed ointment. And in contrast, Jesus affirms the lavish offering as a beautiful gift and preparation for his burial. But Luke's story is strikingly different. It's twice as long as the other three versions. The setting, the timing, the characters, the core issues all vary dramatically from the other gospel accounts. Luke, after all, is the gospel of the outcasts and the outsiders, so he sees this story in a slightly different way. And so this morning, I want to look a little closer at the main players who are part of this table fellowship story. We begin by looking at the woman who's the center of our story. The text describes her only as a woman from the city and a sinner. Now, what is her sin? Well, many commentaries will be quick to tell you that she's a prostitute, but there is no specific reference in the text that makes this clear and absolute. In fact, there's plenty of acts that she could have done to make her carry this label of sinner, something as simple as being seen with her head uncovered, working on the Sabbath. She could have chosen to leave without permission instead of staying in an abusive marriage. There's no reason to actually insist on what her particular sin is because Luke does not. And so we don't need to assume. Luke labels her a sinner not because her actual sin is what is important. He labels her a sinner because that's how society sees her. It's how Simon and the other Pharisees see her. And it's how she sees herself. What we do know about this unnamed woman, and so does the Pharisee at whose house Jesus is at, is that she was uninvited and unexpected. She was not invited by Simon to come to his house to meet Jesus, but she shows up. She shows up because she must have known something about who Jesus was. She had likely heard of his reputation for reaching out to the outcast and the outsiders, reaching out to people like her. And when she had heard that Jesus was dining in her city at that house, that evening, right at that moment, she grabbed her alabaster jar of perfumed ointment and she went to find him. 
based on her reputation and Jesus' reputation, she goes crashing into this dinner party. And her response to being in the presence of Jesus is tears and kisses and anointing. It is a vivid and sensational scene. Her response is one act of unexpected and radical gratitude. Luke does not explicitly state why she's so moved to be into the presence of Jesus, but moved she clearly is. Possibly she had some kind of encounter with the love of God that Jesus embodied and shared with those around him. She knows she's a sinner. And we have no reason to believe that she has been labeled unfairly by the Pharisees or others. And so she comes overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus' welcome for his forgiveness, for the redemption and the grace that he so freely gives. She is moved by gratitude to the point that she begins to weep. And her tears flow so hard that she's able to wash Jesus' feet with them. But she doesn't stop there. She kisses his feet. She anoints them with the perfumed ointment that she brought. This is a woman moved into action by an experience of radical forgiveness. A woman inspired by an overwhelming grace and love that motivates an equally lavish expression of indebtedness and appreciation. Her response is also an act of neglected hospitality. After Jesus' host Simon complains about this unexpected guest making a spectacle in the middle of dinner, Jesus calls him out. And one of the things that he calls him out on is his lack of hospitality. Simon had not offered him water to wash his feet, dusty and dirty from walking, but the sinful woman does. She uses her tears to wash and clean his feet. Simon doesn't greet and kiss Jesus an act of respect and honor, but the sinful woman does. She doesn't stop kissing Jesus' feet. Simon does not anoint Jesus' head with oil when he arrives, a custom of hospitality, but also an acknowledgement of Jesus' role as teacher and Messiah and Savior. But the sinful woman does. Her sinfulness does not stop her from expressing the welcome and the warmth and the joy and the praise that Jesus deserves. You see, for this woman, this is also an act of defiant devotion. She likely knew that because of his message of radical forgiveness and love and welcoming, that Jesus was ruffling the feathers of the religious leaders. After all, Jesus was facing challenges and grumbling for his willingness not just to be seen near, near sinful people like her, but his very willingness to engage, to connect, to treat them with respect. And so she kneels to kiss and anoint his feet. She recognizes from her own encounter with the grace and love of Jesus that he is worthy of worship and praise. She will not be restrained by social expectations and customs. She has come to see and then honor this Jesus. And this overwhelming love takes motion as an act of devotion, of love, and of praise. Now, in contrast to the action of the sinful woman, we have the Pharisee, Simon. Simon is the host of our dinner party, and he's identified as a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees of the time were a, a religious and political sect. They tended to focus on how their righteousness was practiced externally rather than internally. 
Through the Gospels, they are among Jesus' chief detractors. They often focused so intently on the letter of the law that they missed the spirit of the law entirely. They were focused on the purity of Israel and believed that it was achievable by the outside in. And so Simon would have invited Jesus over, not as an act of celebration, but because Jesus had a reputation as a teacher. And Simon wanted to discuss, maybe even challenge Jesus on his interpretation of the law. The invitation to this dinner would have been meant to honor Jesus, but it would mostly serve as a way to honor Simon as the host. And it is into this very important dinner party that our unexpected and uninvited guest arrives. And Simon's response is an act of righteous judgment. He's offended by the very presence of this sinful woman. Not just offended, but angered that she has defiled his home and his purity with her very presence. We don't need the text to tell us what his face looked like when this woman interrupted his dinner. We can imagine it. We can see it on this piece of art by Kelly McMorris. There is Simon at the table. His brow is furrowed in disgust. His mouth is in a snarl under his beard. Simon is offended at this woman's very being. Her actions were not only disruptive, but they were also shocking. Simon had spent his life avoiding contact with such people as a way of maintaining his own purity, and here she was in the middle of his dinner party, his legal discussion with this new rabbi, and she is messing everything up and threatening his own purity. And Simon's judgment doesn't end with the woman. He turns his judgment towards Jesus. He responds to her very presence with an act of prophetic scrutiny. You see, Jesus allowed her to approach him and to touch him. Simon knew of the woman's reputation and that she did not meet the, his standards of purity. So when Jesus allows her to touch him, he makes the assumption that Jesus, this impressive rabbi from Nazareth, must not be all that he had heard he was. He must not be a prophet from God. A prophet would know that this woman was a sinner, and he would never allow himself to be touched, to be defiled by such a person. So Simon judges Jesus. He begins to deem him as not worthy of speaking for God, as not able to redeem and purify God's people. He begins to judge Jesus as scandalous and a threat to his purity, just like the sinful woman was. Simon did not understand the true nature of God's love and acceptance. Simon would reject the woman and think that she was unworthy of God's forgiveness. He would reject Jesus because of his association with her. And so his response is also an act of personal arrogance. His response to this woman, to Jesus letting her respond in such an intimate way, gives us a clue into how Simon practiced his religion. His focus on purity from the outside in stopped being a tool for his own righteousness. It stopped being a movement that would continue him into holiness. It stopped being a way to connect to God, and instead it had become a way for him to feel superior over those that he considered beneath his level of piety. Simon doesn't think he needs forgiveness. He uses his outward purity as a sanctimonious way to hold himself above others. He practices faith to make himself look good in the eyes of his peers. 
He mistakenly believes that his righteousness means that he deserves God's favor. Simon doesn't understand the true nature of God's love and acceptance. Simon would scornfully reject the woman. He thinks that she is unworthy of God's forgiveness and to have a place at the table, unlike the sinful woman who reacts to her encounter with Jesus with love and gratitude. Simon responds with overconfidence and superiority. Now, Jesus can read the room. He knows that Simon would dismiss this woman instead of forgiving her sins. So Jesus tells another story, the one of the two debtors. Who do you think would be more grateful, Jesus asked Simon? A man whose debt of 500 denarii was canceled or a second man who's forgiven 50? Now, denarii is the value of about a day's wages for labor, but that's beside the point. The first man is forgiven 10 times the debt that the other one is. And Simon answers that he supposes it would be the one for whom the greater debt is canceled. Now, side note, notice that Simon says he supposes, supposes. Clearly, Simon can see the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach, and he doesn't want to admit it. Once again, his arrogance, his superiority at how he practices his faith is getting in the way of his learning and his growing in love. Now, the obvious analogy of Jesus' teaching story is to the woman who has been bathing his feet with tears. She has been forgiven much, perhaps ten times what others have been forgiven, which explains why she is devoting herself to Jesus, weeping as she does. She is overcome by gratitude, the kind of gratitude that is understood only by someone who has been given everything. But then Jesus takes it even further. Turning to look at the woman, but talking to Simon, he asks, Do you see this woman? Jesus knows that when Simon saw the woman, he saw a sinner. But when Jesus looked at the woman, he saw great love. Simon let his assumptions get in the way of seeing who she really was. He sees this woman, but not as Jesus sees her. He looks at her through the narrow, rigid lenses of piety and judgment. He continues to see her as less than him. And Jesus knows Simon's heart of judgment, so he continues to try and to teach Simon. Yes, she has been forgiven much, and returned she, an intruder to Simon's dinner party, has shown all of the hospitality that Simon had neglected. She, as it turns out, is not Simon's inferior at all, but in every way her actions and her heart shows that she is superior, especially when it comes to treating Jesus the way an honored guest should be treated. The difference in how Jesus sees and receives the woman and how the Simon sees and receives her is stark. But Jesus' question to Simon highlights an unequally, uh, equally glaring contrast, the difference in how the woman and Simon see themselves. You see, Simon sees himself as a righteous gatekeeper to the holiness and love of God. He is the host who gets to set the table and choose who is worthy to attend. But the woman sees herself as grateful to receive the invitation, not from the Pharisee, but from Jesus. And she is moved to know that she has a place at the table 
See, ultimately, this is a story about forgiveness. And it's about the gratitude that forgiveness creates. It's about the extravagant acts of love and devotion that gratitude prompts, but it's also about something else. It's about the hardness of heart as opposed to love, about judgment instead of forgiveness, about a sense of entitlement instead of gratitude, and what a life devoid of forgiveness looked like. There are two main characters in this story. To one, forgiveness is a sheer blessing, something so beautiful and so important that it breaks her heart and all she can do is express her love and her gratitude. Why? Because she knows that she needs it. She knows how she falls short and how she can do and how she can be better. The other character, Simon, is pretty sure he doesn't need forgiveness. He is righteous, he obeys the law, he does what he should, and so not only does he not need forgiveness, but the very mention of it is threatening and offensive. So the question that comes is this, church, who are you in the story? Are you the indebted, redeemed sinner or the critical gatekeeper? Now the answer may be that it's possible that we're both. I think it's important to realize that we all practice our faith from a variety of mixed motivations and perspectives. We have a tendency to connect with and to identify with the sinners in the gospel stories, the ones that Jesus loves and forgives and redeems. But if we're truly being honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we have much in common with the Pharisees too. It's in our human nature to experience those moments where we practice our faith because it makes us feel good about ourselves and makes us look good to others. Where we think we deserve a reward for doing and believing the right thing compared to others. We all have that part that looks down on certain people as inferior. At the very least, we all have those moments where we look at the judgmental Pharisees in our world and righteously give thanks that we are not as bad as them. And here's the good news of this story. Jesus offers us all forgiveness and acceptance, whether we're more sinners or Pharisees. The stories of the two debtors, it does not make the case that only one is forgiven. Both are forgiven. The difference between the two debtors is the kind of heartfelt faith that the woman displayed by pushing past all the conventions and taboos of her world to express her gratitude through a radically changed heart. That kind of transformation, that kind of experience of God's unconditional love for us can only come when we recognize that we are all both sinners and Pharisees. And that forgiveness comes for us all. And that we all have a seat at the table. Let us pray.